Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 193 for Monday, May 16th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me as always is a slightly smoked Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> just just on a little of the smoky side. I, actually, I, I need to trim my beard this summer because otherwise I'm going to smell like barbecue the entire, <laughs> the entire summer. There are worse uh, things it, to smell of. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, if you would like to hear Johnny and I talk about barbecue and Elden Ring for almost 20 minutes, then you should check out the Render Distance. That's the extended conversation that we have every week. You can get access at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. This week is our chunk mail dispenser episode. So that means that uh, in lieu of a main discussion later in the show, we're just going to kind of go through as many emails as we have time for. That's a milestone goal unlocked by Patreon, actually. And patrons can also look forward to the May Minecraft Hangout later on in the Discord this month. Uh, looking at this week's news, something tells me that the main discussion is also going to be a bit in the news, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we'd like to start off with something a bit lighter and what we're doing in our Minecraft worlds this week. So uh, I know you've been working on the Citadel. How is the wharf going? Wharf is done, and oh, I'm nice. excited that it is done. Uh, it came together quickly. I mean, it, it still took several streams. Uh, eight, I think, in total, but that's me. I never do anything quickly in Minecraft, because <laughs> yeah. uh, why would you? Uh, anyway, uh, I I really am happy with the way it came together. Uh, a lot of it was like this slow burn of like getting all the forms right, making sure the tower is in the right position, choosing main block choices and colors, and then going in through and doing like details. And so the whole thing was done in even passes. So I didn't take one building through to being finished until the very, very end when I started adding like texture details, uh, all the little like, you know, trap doors and lanterns and lights and things that you kind of do in order to, to bring a building together. Uh, interiors are all done. So it feels really good to have this section finished. Uh, again, loosely based on uh, Toltaberry Wharf uh, by Total Major, which is a, a, a Lego, uh, my own creation build that I've, I've had linked in the show notes, I think last week. And uh, the one thing that I added different uh, is a Minecraft crane and a medieval crane, which is an interesting challenge to partake in uh, if you've never done any cranes before. So I've never even done like a modern city crane. I've just, I've got the idea for one. Um, the advantage there would be the modern city would be much larger. And so this is a, I want to say small, but it's still like almost 10 blocks tall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because if, basically what I did was, uh, and this is kind of a good lesson for people that want to try something like this. I thought about where I wanted it and what direction I wanted it to be pointed in. And then I started going from the platform first. So rather than building the crane and then trying to hang something from it, I thought, okay, how high or low do I want this this crane load to be hanging in midair? And I basically got it to the point where like, okay, this is as low as I want it to go because I didn't want to build this massive crane that was going to dwarf the entire wharf. And I still feel like I kind of did that. So like if I had it to do over again, I might make it a teeny tiny bit smaller, uh, but I like it so much as a design that I thought, well, it kind of overpowers things, but it looks really cool, so I'm going to keep it anyway. Yeah, yeah, it uh, looks great. I think one of the, the cool things you've been able to do here is use chains for the sort of mechanism parts of it. Because yeah. when I've built, I built larger cranes in, in uh, the dripstone cave base that I was working on, uh, but I shied away from using chains. One, because it's really dark in there and you couldn't really see them too well against right. some of the shadowy uh, sections of the background. And two, because they're relatively small. They're like the size of, you know, a single glass pane or an iron bar in terms of the, 
hitbox and where it renders and so typically for something on a larger scale you want to use something like fences or even walls just to get the diameter but what you've got here is a crane that's perfect scale for chains which is great because chains have a horizontal aspect to them instead of a vertical one whereas the problem i ran into with using fences and walls is that you can't lay them out end to end on a horizontal like because they just connect to whatever's above them yeah, that's the issue that I was thinking of too. Is like I thought, like Enrod, not Enrods, because um, Enrods do go sideways. But but I wish that uh, iron bars could give you the option to go sideways because that yeah, yeah. that would be a good solution for you because they're shinier and they have at least for me I've got a 3D iron bar texture so they actually have like a pixel width or two sure. pixel width or something yeah, yeah. to them. Lightning um, rods would be the other option, I guess. But again, yes, yeah, like yeah, I I, kind of I still color. Yeah, they're a funny color, and I still find that the like the bulb on the end of a lightning rod makes itself too obvious in a way. Like, I guess you could kind mm. of explain it away as like this feels like, you know, a link in a chain or something like that, or some kind of like you know rivet that's holding the whole thing together. But it still it still feels too obviously like a lightning rod to me, <laughs> and it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be used for that. But I'm sure that people have used them as details that I wouldn't give it a second glance if you know I had built it myself. But who knows? There's there's definitely a lot of options out there, but I think the chain looks fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah, I've had a, I had a lot of fun with this. A lot of iteration. Uh, it took a full stream, full three, three and a half hours to do the crane from start to finish because I, I didn't plan it out in creative. I did look up a couple of quick images ahead of time just to kind of have like, what would be the technology in a medieval crane if, if they even had one? Yeah. And essentially all it is is basically, it's the same as like a trebuchet. Like you've got a big counterweight on one side, basically rocks on a platform, you know, and then, and then the other side is like whatever you can do. Um, and I tried, I tried to steal an idea that I got from one of your videos this week, which was, uh, in this area, I'm trying to have more stuff around that's more refined than raw materials. So less like rocks and logs and more like, you know, planks and crates and bricks and things that have been touched by the human hand that are then goods being transferred back and forth. And, uh, I have been doing a lot of log piles. I saw you do plank piles and I thought, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'll, I'll let everybody know that it was Pix's idea, but I'm stealing this from uh -huh. my wharf. Problem is where I wanted to put the planks, it, the planks go the wrong direction. So you yeah, have to like yeah. it. So it doesn't work. They look like a bunch of short planks. They look like a bunch of fences, fence posts, like all laid flat and stacked on top of each other. So I couldn't quite use it here, but some, somewhere, somewhere in this world, I will, I will steal that really nice idea. Um, Instead, I've got a pile of polished granite, which also works nicely as like a refined stone that's been brought in. Um, so really the, 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 I guess the crux of all of this is that it just, it's a much bigger build than I anticipated. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I find that I was spending a lot of time from the river looking at it, trying to get it to look right. I think that's because that's where a lot of the photo references are in terms of the lego build that i was using yeah. as inspiration there are there are a lot of like wharf side photos and um as it turns out i think i've kind of overpowered the details and i'm glad i didn't spend hours and hours and hours trying to add like a lot of detail to the towers in the background because the crane completely covers them yeah and yeah it's a much better view the other way around now so coming from the town square going down through the entrance of the wharf uh, the towers are more prominent. I've got like some greenery and stuff on on the the square side of the the builds, and then the the archway 
uh, previously was used to frame some of the buildings up on the hill. You can also quite see the, the crane nicely framed through that, which wasn't planned. That was kind of a happy accident. So um, overall, everything kind of came together. The only thing I'm still struggling with is the small stone bridge that kind of goes over the canal. Uh, it's okay. Like I like the shape of it, but it just doesn't feel special enough. And it tends to get lost with everything else that's going on. And I think a lot of that just kind of comes down to like, in this medieval style, there's only so many different colors that you can use in terms of materials like, you know, spruce wood, dark oak, uh, deep slate, and then all your stones. And then after a while, you just kind of struggle to find different ways to make things look like, well, this is a stone bridge, so it's going to be made of stone, some sort of stone. Um, and to try to get it to not to blend in around around the, the the build is is difficult but i'm eventually uh, gonna find a way just one of those things that i think at this point it was better to walk away and say okay i like the way that everything's come together i really enjoy the deck of the wharf it's a different texture than everything else around it and when it comes time to sorting out that bridge it's just something i have to walk across a hundred times before it kind of smacks me in the face and says like yeah. oh you should you know like maybe i haven't seen the inspiration yet maybe i just haven't worked through another problem in a different build altogether because very often i'll come up with an idea going this looks really cool but it doesn't work in this build so i kind of mentally file it away for like the next time i'm struggling with this shape on a roof or this kind of thing i'll have to use that on a future build and so somewhere there's a little bridge build in my mind that has not come to fruition yet but everything else i'm, I'm pretty happy with honestly like you're saying you're gonna have to walk over it a hundred times before it you know occurs to you and if you don't walk over it a hundred times then it's probably not worth going back and detailing it properly that's true like, too if, if it's the kind of thing that's just out of sight out of mind it you might honestly be better cutting your losses and moving on to whatever else instead of stalling for a couple more streams or so just trying to figure out by trial and error what works well for this bridge I, i'm honestly starting to get that way myself with some of this stuff where i want everything to feel so complete but then I think, like, how many times am I actually going to see this? And that's what led me to designing the elements of my base the way I've been doing this week, where I'm I'm still working on this dripstone cave. I've left it in this default dripstone cave state for a while, where there's stalagmites all over the floor, and I was worried removing those was going to remove half the atmosphere of the cave. Um, but I decided to clear them out today just so I knew how much space i had to work with for detailing stuff and like i meant i wasn't being super precious about how i was using the space that i had naturally speaking and so one of the things i've done here is dug a mine shaft into the rock wall and i didn't know what i was going to do with this at first i thought it was just going to be one of those features that it feels like a mine shaft in progress right it feels like the the kind of thing where they would have dug into the wall and they're still working on this area at the end or maybe there's been a rock slide and it's caved in but i thought I'm not I'm putting a lot of detail into this and I'm not really going to see any of this again unless I'm using it for a specific purpose. So that that's where I decided to build a redstone flying machine elevator at the end of this mine shaft and that's now what takes me down to the copper aging machine that I set up in the beacon strip mine that I have under this entire thing. So I now have an elevator that takes me down, you know, 40 blocks or so using honey and slime block flying machines. And I made the whole thing look like a proper elevator platform. So it's in world. It's, you know, made out of wood and note blocks and a few bits and pieces. The elevator shaft has cracks in the walls where you can see a bit of raw copper coming through. And I'm really happy with the way it worked out. I, I really like the way it all came together. But I, I wanted to make sure that 
all the detail and stuff I was putting into this mineshaft was something I was going to see more than once. So I decided to give the mineshaft itself a little bit of utility. And finally, I can stop just floating down the uh, beacon uh, shaft, the, the sort of too wide uh, hole that I dug so that I could get sky access for the beacon that's powering the whole strip mine area to begin with. That's really cool. I, I, I really enjoy putting functional things like that into big builds, especially in a kind of vertical traversal. Like it feels kind of like it's fine. We have a light tread, like we can all just kind of either float down or, or zip up. And depending on how good you are with rockets and your elytra, you might not bash your face against the ceiling. But um, I, I like that about uh, the modern city build where we added bubble vaders and just kind of like built it into the lore that bubble elevators are just kind of like how these people in Minecraft city get around. I don't know how they stay dry, but this is mm -hmm. how they get around. Yeah. And I, I love the idea of like having like, like the, the, the chain and like all that kind of like functionality built into like the look of the thing. So it's not just like a fancy redstone elevator, you know, yeah. cause they're, they're not super fast. Right. So like, if you're going to use one, it's going to take some time to go down. You might as well have it be pretty. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like you want to be able to look at some stuff. And if it was all the way down to like the lowest possible level of the world, if it was, you know, a 128 block high elevator, I might have reconsidered because yes, it is very slow. Yeah. But I think it's a long enough elevator ride that you you sort of get time to take in some of the detail, but it doesn't just bore you. Like by the time you're thinking, oh, this is taking longer than I expected, it's reached the bottom of it. And so you're not left waiting around for super long. I've used it a couple of times since on streams and stuff like that when I've been working on more detail and widening out the area around the copper machine so that I can, um, you know, get more detail in there. And yeah, using it feels natural now. Like it feels like a fun part of the world instead of, an annoyance where I think, oh, I should probably have just put in a bubble column or elytra passage up to, you know, the the opening for the cave. I think it's it's nice having details like this in the world. It's probably the upper limit of how big I would want to make it, though. So potentially, mm. if I if I do stuff like this in future, it's going to be smaller, or if I can swing it faster. But that might need need a little bit of a redesign of these flying machines to uh, make them work a little quicker because they are they are a little slow. I think the use of barrels uh, around the edges for tracks, using the straps and the barrels to look like guides for the elevator, and the chain going through the middle is just brilliant. Like yeah, that's it's, just... it's grindstones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I say chain. It looks like a chain, but it's it's grind it's grindstones. Yeah, um, yeah. But the fact I... that it, it, rather than having like this impossibility of being able to move all of those, you've just got the chain of grindstones with a hole in the middle of your platform. Yeah, yeah. Right? As, th as though it's being winched up through through the center because you don't see any of the slime or honey when you're standing on it. And right, and the, I think it it really came from the brainstorming process of like, what can I line this elevator shaft with so the elevator it isn't just suspended in midair because it mm -hmm. can fly under its own steam of course um but like what will go alongside this stuff that won't be pulled around by the honey and the slime right. and of course in java edition with no movable tile entities anything with an inventory or really an interface like if you look at grindstones for example they're another perfect one like they're not going to be moved around because the game doesn't allow for it but having barrels up the sides did give it a look of sure i can you know imagine those being tracks that the thing or maybe even just like 
a couple of wooden supports that this machine has just scraped two lines into, like the kind of the tram lines that you get at the side of a road where all of the heavy goods vehicles drive. You know, like yep. it, mm-hmm. it can it can feel a little bit like it's been carved out or like it's been guided down by tracks like that and that kind of justifies the fact that the the whole thing doesn't feel quite as rickety as it would otherwise if you're looking at an actual elevator platform you know arranged with chains and and made out of wood so i confess i'm an episode behind i haven't watched this come together live yet but uh one thing i did really like about um the cave adjustments has been uh actually bringing the things in that you were talking about in the render distance in the pre-show about environment design and I love what you're doing with the like the the process of designing the mines. Yeah, yeah, like working with sight lines and stuff. Like mine shafts yeah. are really good for that because your average abandoned mine shaft in Minecraft, the ones that pre-generate, are a series of straight corridors. And mm-hmm. while obviously you can hide turns and stuff like that in a straight line, it always feels kind of boring. Um, so what I've learned from playing Elden Ring and a couple of other games is that you can obviously use certain materials to guide players around. And we've talked about this, I think, a little bit before, but I have a, a cobblestone path that effectively runs through this mineshaft and curves around to the left as the natural flow of the mineshaft does. And then off to the right here and there, you can either signpost the fact that there are little alcoves and stuff to explore by having the cobblestone path run up towards those. And so players might take that that option and 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 head over there and be assumed that like the the environment is directing them that way if they want to follow the cobblestone path on the floor but then if you block off another alcove further down so that it's not visible from the entrance you don't get a sight line to it until you're standing right there and then you don't have the cobblestone path leading to it that feels like the player has now discovered that on their own and there's a psychology uh, applying to some of it that I'm really enjoying working with and it's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to doing a bit more in future if it comes to like maybe multiplayer projects or maybe some more stuff in this world that can just be a bit of a surprise uh, for people who eventually get to download the world but yeah I'm I'm having a lot of fun with that and working in elements of prismarine into this now that I have a guardian farm as though the miners have come across a material that they don't really know what it is and I think prismarine is going to be a really nice contrast to raw copper because, you know, one's orange, one's blue. You can have this kind of element of magic to it and then it can either be the idea that the copper has, um, you know, oxidized in state and it's, you know, it's it started to take on that kind of patinaed look to it or the prismarine is something else entirely and because it changes color it has more of a a magical feel to it so i'm i'm working on that right now and and seeing how we can incorporate more of that into the environment of this dripstone cave in the meantime i've completely run out of redstone (laughs) and this is uh i think part of the (laughs) The nature of what I've been doing here with the the copper aging setup is a larger redstone contraption, needs a lot of wiring, needs a lot of components, redstone torches, repeaters, it all adds up. And then the elevator didn't need many of those because it's all got to be movable, like block-based components, but that's still, you know, note blocks to set the whole thing off, it's got observers all over the place, it's got pistons, and so I'm finding myself running out of that stuff constantly and without a decent source of redstone in this world. I'm now working on a villager trading setup in the jungle next door to the the dripstone cave just so I can specialize in clerics there who can trade redstone to me. And I'm not at the stage in this world yet where I want to build a witch farm or a pillager raid farm until I've had a bit of time to absorb the mechanics and design an original design myself. But I, I like the availability of redstone trades from clerics. They're probably one of the first trades you get from any cleric. 
and it also allows you to trade it actively instead of standing at a farm that you just have to like passively afk to accumulate resources i'm, I'm much happier being active about that stuff and doing a bit of trading getting xp and repairing my tools in the process it all makes a lot of sense to me and there's a, there's usually ways in the game that you can get enough things to trade you know on mass without having to build like super complicated farms like oh, you yeah. can usually find ways to get the emeralds or whatever it is that you need <laughs> honestly with the amount of mining i've been doing in this area with the beacon strip mine and everything i should just get a couple of stonemasons and give them all my leftover stone <laughs> like i don't normally yeah. do that but my stone like bulk storage back at spawn is completely full and i have chests upon chests of the stuff here at the dripstone cave so yeah maybe i'll end up doing another strip mine or two and and just trading all of my excess stone and decorative stone types and stuff like that to uh, a pair of stonemasons or something you know as far as we are and along in the citadel which is coming up on five years old this july the one thing that we don't have is a solid set of villager trades for like blocks and items we've mm -hmm. got librarians and all the enchanted books that we'd need because even though they're not the cheapest, we can we people just have enough levels or they have enough money that they can just figure out a way to buy the books that they need for the one time in a blue moon where they have to replace their gear. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like the things that are missing are like, I really shouldn't state like quartz trades. You know, I should really... Because mm -hmm. I, 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 I seem to always have enough diorite and granite, but I like quartz uh, and I'm trying to think about some other like uh, bricks. The other thing, bricks. Because I, I was like, I have a lot of clay but I don't, I don't want to turn all of my clay in the bricks. I'd like to mm -hmm. keep a good chunk of it for like that one time that I'm going to need this bright blue clay block, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like I, I need to take the time to try and get some of those really good, useful block traits, you know, with, with villagers and, and have that set up. Do it now before uh, renewable clay arrives in the wild update and invalidates all of our ideas. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But uh, speaking of which, we should probably move on to the news because we have a snapshot this week. It's a small one. It's Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 22W19A. There's one change, which is that the Warden and Iron Golems now make sure to spawn above something solid. There are a few technical changes, including servers being able to enable chat preview, which displays a server control preview above the chat edit box. There are some changes to the locate and place commands, and a few changes to points of interest tags as well. So the changelog goes into a little bit more detail about each of those, we'll summarize here. So servers can now enable chat preview in the server.properties file. When enabled, a server controlled preview appears above the chat edit box, showing how the message will look when sent. This can be used by servers to preview messages with style applied like emojis and chat coloring. Chat preview sends chat messages to the server as they are typed before they're even sent and the server sends back the styled preview in real time. This allows servers to apply dynamic message styling while still allowing chat to be securely signed and signed chat is something that has come in in the last couple of uh, snapshots as well. A warning screen is shown on the client when joining a server with chat preview and it can be globally disabled in chat settings. Dynamic chat styling can also be controlled by the server although this is only signed when chat preview is enabled. Clients can prefer to always show the original signed message by enabling only show signed chat in the chat settings now. As far as the commands go, they've added a template subcommand to the place command, which was the one that replaced place feature uh, in last week's snapshot. The locate command has moved to locate structure, and locate biome has been moved to locate biome. They've also added a command to locate points of interest types, which will go into a little bit more of the changes that we've got coming up. Uh, servers will now send an additional icon and a message of the day packet after a player has connected. This allows servers with enable status equals false to set an icon and message of the day for players that successfully connect. 
So points of interest types have been changed around a little bit. They've removed the unemployed and nitwit points of interest types from villagers and added tags for points of interest, acquirable job site for all job sites sought by villagers with no profession, uh, village for points of interest that are part of a village, and b underscore home for all points of interest targeted by bees. So there's the opportunity to play around with those and add some more customized uh, village points of interest if you feel like messing with that on a data pack level. A few fixed bugs in 22W19A. Uh, players cannot jump off the edge of blocks when sneaking if they have a block above them. That's now been fixed, so uh, watch yourself on those ledges. Skulk sensors continuously receive vibrations when next to a powered big drip leaf. That's now been fixed. Apparently those plants were vibrating a little too much. Tadpoles used to hatch inside of adjacent blocks, which caused them to suffocate and die. No longer the case. Frogs would frequently get stuck below lily pads, and when passive mobs took damage from the Warden's sonic boom, they wouldn't flee in panic. That's now been fixed as well, so mobs will know to get out of the Warden's way. There are a ton of other fixes for the Warden, plus a couple of crashes and error fixes. More information on all of those, along with the full changelog, is available at minecraft.net, and that's also linked in our show notes this week. Ask Mojang what happened to the fireflies in Minecraft 1.19 is a YouTube video that was uploaded on Tuesday, May 10th. Producer Anne Lundgren, game developers Nevo, Alexander Sander, and 3D artist Chi Wong, and game programmer Oscar Aixen answered questions about the upcoming Minecraft 1.19 update. This included addressing features which the community had some expectations about, confirming fireflies were not coming to the wild update, having shifted to focus on frogs eating slimes instead. The birch forest concept art shown at Minecraft Live was just a concept and will not be included in the wild update, and that bundles are still delayed due to difficulties implementing control scheme on mobile devices. There was also some information about the origins of the LA, confirming the goat horn will be in the wild update and the role of community feedback in changing the color of mangrove wood to the new deeper red. So there's not really a whole lot to say about the snapshot. I think it's pretty safe to say that we're in the tweaks, balancing and bug fixes phase of the wild update. And so I think the focus of this discussion really is going to be on the YouTube video and the subsequent community reaction, or at least the community reaction that was building when it was becoming abundantly clear that fireflies were no longer in the wild update and that birch forests weren't part of any of the recent snapshots and it looked like the snapshots were finishing up so a lot of people were a little bit confused and so mojang has published an ask mojang video about that and the community reaction has been negative i'd say uh, mostly there's obviously a few people out there who kind of take everything in their stride and we're going to do our best to remain relatively neutral here about this stuff on the podcast because uh, while we have our own opinions about this kind of stuff, I think it's it's worth discussing just for the sake of this being a Minecraft community podcast and looking at the community reaction with a bit more of a, a level head. Um, so the way I see it, there are a few layers to the situation. There are people in the community who are disappointed that this update hasn't really lived up to the ideas it was trying to sell. Um, at Minecraft Live, we were hearing about some of the changes they wanted to make to the world, being making the world more immersive and... I think a lot of the stuff that is no longer part of this update was really the the side of things that players thought was going to be focused on that immersive world experience, right? So there's a lot of people now saying that the name Wild Update doesn't feel like the right name for it now, since it's largely concerned with a cave environment and the deep dark, and obviously that's a huge part of the experience, but doesn't necessarily have the wilderness feel that overworld biomes give people. 
And then the new type of swamp biome, um, being mangrove swamps, and while obviously those are fantastic and we've got a whole new wood type coming there, the problem I think most people are having is that regular swamps have largely been left alone. Uh, you've got frogs spawning there and that's kind of it. And while I don't think people expected swamps to completely change over to mangrove biomes, I expect people were looking for more of a, a happy medium between the two. Um, so the name seemed to be overreaching what eventually came of the wild update. Um, and so I think that's a valid criticism. Would you agree? Do you think the wild update isn't quite the right name for the update now? Yes. No, I, I would agree with that. And I and it's something that I've always felt was a little bit off from the get-go. I didn't really vocalize it much because, again, like when I first heard the wild update, you know, back in Minecraft Live, I mean, there's always a chance that the name of it could change in, you know, the nine months between, you know, October and June when it eventually is is potentially coming out. Um, I mean, generally, when you see it in like a color graphic, it, it's usually the way that the, the name ends up going. Um, but I agree. And what I felt, though, from the initial announcement of the wild update back in Minecraft Live is that it was more of a this is the direction we're going yeah. rather than this is all happening in one update. Because when you think, OK, well, they're going to update some swamps and give us a new wood and they're updating you know, a new uh, underground environment because we have those now. Like now that 118 was one on its way and we knew what was coming in 118 in terms of like cave biomes, they could add a new cave biome in 119 with the deep dark, which is essentially what it is. And um, for me, I, I feel like it's it does have that all-encompassing feel I just didn't assume that it was all going to happen in one update. Because when you think, okay, well, they're showing some birch concept art. They're showing what's some in-game stuff, development stuff for mangrove trees and, and mangrove swamps. But your brain immediately goes to like, there are biomes in the game that have been around and virtually unchanged since the game came out. So like, does the taiga forest get an update? Does, you know, a flower forest? What about a, a dark oak forest? Like, do they get like little facelifts as part of the wild update eventually? And that's why I thought that, and agree with you that the wild update is a little bit um, too broad, maybe. And it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned taiga forests because the taiga update that we voted for as part of a biome vote a while ago, all that delivered was campfires, berry bushes and foxes. And, and that was as a smaller part of the village and pillage update as it eventually was. But at that at that point, Bedrock, I think, was still even playing catch up and didn't get the tiger changes until a later kind of sub iteration of village and pillage. So it, it feels like this time around they're doing more as far as what the community wanted from an update to swamps. And the swamps aren't arriving here as a result of a biome vote. They were a runner up of a previous biome vote. And now Mojang is actually taking those ideas and adding them to the game. Um, so yeah, it, it's it, there's a lot more um, nuance to this than I think the community was expecting. And like you, I, I kind of got the impression that this is a direction they want the game to go in and not an overall vision for the wild update on its own. Yeah, I don't anticipate whatever happens after the wild update to be like totally different. You know, yeah. I expect it to be kind of along the same lines. Perhaps this is a total guess, you know, focusing on another biome or another aspect of exploration and the wilderness and something like that. I feel like they have more that they would like to accomplish than just mangrove swamps. That's my my gut feeling. Um, and some of this might sound a little bit nitpicky. I think it just might make for a better kind of conversation back and forth. But I kind of want them to remove the word, the word update from the updates. Because I think 
it's kind of implied that the next you know version number of Minecraft is an update to the game. And I think it might allow them to be more accurate and perhaps even a little bit more creative if they wanted to be with the names of these updates. Like you could just call 119 mangrove swamps. Uh, and if that was all that was coming in it, obviously if, if the deep dark, you know, is part of that, then you might have to come up with something a little bit more creative. But if the deep dark was the only thing happening in an update, which would be fine, you could just call it, you know, Minecraft 1.20, the deep dark, and everybody could kind of know <laughs> what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, as we mentioned, the wild update kind of leaves a lot of speculation room. Yeah, it's uh, a very, which, very open theme yeah, for the update, yeah. Yeah, whereas if you say, this is, you know, the mangrove swamp update, people are not going to be thinking about birch forests. <laughs> you know, like they're thinking that's probably not coming right now because that's not at all what the name suggests, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on the subject of birch forests, um, I think there was a lot of assumption made about what the feature entailed purely from a single piece of concept art. And I think that's the side of this that I understand less, is people having waited this long and having seen a lot of in-game, you know, screenshots and, and footage of all of the stuff that was coming to Mangrove Swamps and having voted for the LA and seen the LA come up through development as it's been developed for the wild update and people then like still assuming birch forest was somehow going to be sprung on them and like even though we talk about this occasionally when it comes up for things like say basalt deltas from the nether update which weren't really part of the presentation at first but you know came up as part of the development of nether biomes as they went I don't think Mojang often does that, where they hold back a specific thing until later or stuff comes up during development which wasn't necessarily part of the original vision. It'll be small features like the recovery compass, for example, which, you know, while I'm, I expect that's an idea they've had kicking around behind the scenes for a while, it just felt like the right time to include it now, but it wasn't announced as part of, uh, of Minecraft Live. Then again... If they've got something that feels like a larger concept, like a birch forest revamp, then you would expect them to be working on it much sooner. And so I think it's a much easier assumption to make that it's not happening after a while, instead of everybody waiting to the 11th hour to start feeling like, oh, hey, where is this one thing that we were promised? I think it's it's kind of an, an odd like mental train of thought to go down to me. I feel the same way. And I have to kind of like take off my artist hat because I've worked in television development um, for the first several years of my career. I can't tell you how many things that I worked on and drew and kind of came up with never saw the light of day, Yeah, you know, and, and, and stuff that I've been paid for that I would love to include in my portfolio that I can't because it's under NDA and it may or may not eventually become a TV show at which point I could share it, but right now can't do it. Um, I think that, you know, you and I, you know, on one hand, know that concept art is not a promise right like that's not something that has to be explained to us yeah and that's that's the phrase that was used in the uh the mojang video was yeah concept art is not a promise and they decided to move away from developing birch forest in this update and and yeah and i quoted that on purpose thank you for for clarifying that and because for me, I, I almost, and this is, again, I'm not criticizing the video. It's it's how I read it. I kind of took a little bit of offense to it. It's like, of course, it's not a promise. Like, I, I get it. It's This feels kind of condescending. But seeing how the community has been reacting, I feel like Mojang has to be this clear 
and almost blunt in how they're explaining like, look, just because we share this stuff with you doesn't mean that it's always going to be in the game. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of turning pieces, you know, moving cogs that determine whether something is going to be in the game. I mean, it could be for time constraints. It could be for just maybe it just doesn't work out like like fireflies. They found, you know, what they feel is a better solution with with frogs eating slimes. Um, and I think it's it's also a fine solution. I like fireflies, but I also like the fact that frog eats slimes. You know, we get frog lights out of it. Mm-hmm. So like there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of a, a give and take. Um, the one thing that I find doesn't happen as often as I feel like it should is that Mojang doesn't always read the room, air quotes, before sharing potential plans. Most of the Minecraft community, from what I see and what I've, as you've just mentioned, makes assumptions. And it's not an irregular thing. It seems to be a pretty consistent thing that happens. And so I want to be careful in saying that I'm not laying this at the feet of Mojang, but we live in a world where the internet has a fairly short attention span, uh, not taking the time to always read and listen to what's being actually said. And the big one, this is the big one, is misinformation that gets circulated and eventually assumed to be true. Yeah. And and I'm using the word assume again because I think that's the main issue here is that you get people that are on social media and for whatever reason they want the clicks, they want the likes, they want the attention. And so even if maybe the blog post or the YouTube video that they're linking to eventually explains that you know this is what's really going on, the headline might be clickbaity and might leave a lot of room for speculation or just be a flat out lie, depending on how honest this, you know, the people that are sharing this information want to be. Most people don't click through and watch the video or watch the whole video. So you just end up with this like little trickle of like misinformation that through the game of telephone ends up being everywhere. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, whoa, wait, I didn't hear that. Our Birch Forest is coming in 119. And then people have to backtrack and be just like, no, they're not. We just, we sort of thought they might, but you know, and it just becomes this real gray hodgepodge of, of miscommunication. And yeah, I think it's unfortunate because it means that Mojang just has to be a lot more blunt as opposed to a lot more fun when sharing ideas because the internet at large, and I, I want to be careful not to like focus on any one group, but just as a huge community across the planet, they tend to take things and run with them. That's just the world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think recently this has started to fuel a bit of speculation from both the community and more informally, uh, the developers, like a couple of them have shared their thoughts about this on Twitter, about what this actually means for future communications. You know, players are feeling, you know, can they put any amount of faith in what the Minecraft team announces if they feel like they've been let down by something like this? And from the developer's side of things, would they end up holding back stuff that they're excited about the potential for if there is also potential for it to be cut later? Which is going to happen. And we don't know really about the amount of stuff that has been cut from previous updates that maybe either didn't go announced or, you know, some stuff has been changed. I think the the earliest example I can think of from when I was really paying attention to Minecraft's, you know, snapshots and development and stuff was the sort of 
the the give and take in water physics and the fact that waterlogged blocks came out of an idea that water wasn't actually going to be blocked by certain things anymore like if you put a water source inside of an area of fences the water was going to be able to flow out through the gaps in the fences and that it felt like was rolled back as part of a discussion with the technical community about whether or not that was going to work or whether it was going to ruin a bunch of redstone contraptions and stuff like that but then with stuff like this there's a different portion of the community has spoken up and said say you know we think the frogs eating fireflies isn't a good idea because fireflies are poisonous to frogs and that was the reason they cited in the video about why they withdrew fireflies as an idea and focused on slimes instead but i feel like there is also an unspoken part of that which is also we still want to work with fireflies but we feel like they should have more functionality and they aren't what we wanted to do yet the other example recently has been the copper horn which was trialed in bedrock edition and they even said in the blog post where it was removed was largely well received a lot of the feedback they got in it was positive but the team still isn't confident that it's the feature they want it to be and I feel like that's a certain amount of creative control that Mojang shouldn't have to cede to the community. Like, they shouldn't have to say, well, oh, you guys are okay with it, we're not happy with it, but since you like it so much, we'll put it in the game. I feel like, you know, as as artists and as developers, that's not the kind of environment they necessarily want to work in. And so it's a tricky thing to to place where exactly their efforts should go. Is it just giving the community what they want or is it delivering what they think is going to be a good long-term feature for the game? Because they are still thinking about how is this going to affect stuff further down the road in updates, you know, for the foreseeable future. And there's no way that as players we have that level of foresight because we don't necessarily know what other ideas are kicking around behind the scenes for what to update next. I don't remember what they called it in the video, but it's essentially like the idea vault. Like, this is a good idea. It's not ready to implement now, or we decided not to implement it in this way in this update. But we've not said fireflies suck. <laughs> We're yeah. never going to do them. Mm -hmm. I, they, they basically put them in like, this is really cool. We need to kind of keep this in our mind and figure out where and when and if we can work it into the game later on, you know. And I, I, I think that's encouraging because... One of the things, and this is where my patience, I think, uh, you know, what I, you and I both, I think, have share this quality in that, you know, we'd rather have something come into the game right than yeah. come into the game quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Warden and, and the Deep Dark are the perfect example of that. Like, yeah, the, 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 the Warden in 1.17, if it was going to be released then, was just a mob that you encountered in a random Deep Slate cave. There wasn't any of the ancient city stuff. The Deep Dark was not nearly as developed. We had Skulk Sensors debut at Minecraft Live then, but we didn't know what the rest of the Skulk family was going to look like. And if you compare a screenshot of the initial video showcasing the Warden and the little kind of, you know outpost shack kind of thing with a couple of barrels in it that it was guarding and you put that side by side with ancient cities no contest like hugely mm -hmm. hugely improved and what an experience that's going to be for people who stumble into that stuff now especially people who haven't seen all of the the development of it and i think the problem that arises with stuff like that is that after a feature has been pushed back a couple of times they like uh, certain individuals in the community feel like mojang has accumulated this sort of 
I'll call it intellectual debt <laughs> to the to the, mm-hmm. the the player base, right? They they sort of feel like, oh well, we've we've seen this before. This is just another iteration of an idea we've already seen. Where's the new stuff? And so you have a whole swathe of the community feeling like this isn't an update because we've already seen these features before. Not because you know they've been added to the game before, <laughs> because they haven't, but because nothing about this feels new to them having heard about it for the last couple of years and that's unfortunate but you know that that's unfortunately the nature of the way the game has developed over the last little while the fact that caves and cliffs had to be split to begin with was not the ideal situation for mojang it's just what happened and the fact that we're now still getting updates that you know expand on that vision and provide new stuff to the game and a a huge amount of new stuff as well i feel like people aren't necessarily taking that into account when they get upset about the fact that birch forests aren't part of this update yet i i feel that we're probably gonna see maybe not right away but if this continues to be a point of contest between the community and the developers. I feel like we're going to see Mojang roll back the amount of stuff that they share, specifically if it's really early concept phase. I mean, they can put asterisks, this may or may not be in the game. This is only a test version. We are making no promises in every article and Twitter post they can. And there are still people that will not get that or retain that information. Um, so I don't envy the developers in that standpoint. Do you think we're going to have that rollback? Like, do you think we're going to have more of a, this is something so far along that we're basically seeing iterations in snapshots instead of innovations in snapshots? I think they're going to be a lot more cautious about it. And I think the the difficult part of all of this is the fact that they have still in a sense, committed to doing an annual event like Minecraft Live where people expect them to announce something big. And mm. so the pressure is there from from their own side of we need to have something big to show players, something big to announce every year. And at the pace they're going, they're having updates every you know six months, basically, it feels like, assuming that the wild update is coming sometime in the next couple of months. Like, it, it does feel like maybe if that scaled back to one update a year then maybe they could fit the entirety of their vision into minecraft live and and be more confident that that was the kind of thing that players were going to be able to play with at the end of it i think the last thing i want to say about this really is that the the one outstanding problem and the other valid point of criticism i see from the community is a matter of the timing of announcements like this because it's clear somewhere along the line from the fact that we never saw any iterations of birch forest changes in the snapshots that they decided this isn't a concept we're going to run with we're going to show people this concept art and then we're probably not going to develop birch forest any further we'll put that back in the the ideas bank for for later and the community feels that at that point when that decision is made that should be communicated more or less straight away in order for players to have a more accurate idea of what's coming in this update which might give some negativity but I, I would argue that that's maybe a little bit less negative. Like it, it feels a little bit more, uh, for want of a better word, honest with the community than waiting until much later in the process. The problem is, and the problem I think the community is not seeing when they're arguing this point, we don't know when that decision was made. Exactly. And it might, it might have been made, you know, relatively soon and like, you know, like relatively recently and players just thought, oh, they've had this, they never intended to do this, they were never developing Birch Forest. We don't know. And behind the scenes, maybe they were, and maybe it was like, you know, a couple of weeks to a month ago that they decided, 
actually none of this is ready. We're not putting it in snapshots yet because we're not happy with it at all. And there's no way we're going to have the time to put it out in time for the wild update to be released. And so now they have to either coast on the idea that, you know, the the concept art shown was just a, a, a vague idea of the direction they wanted Minecraft to go in general. And it's, you know, it's only taken until now when they've got an idea, an option to do like a Q&A video like this, that they can really formally say, we're not doing Birch Forest with this update. I think something about that relationship there has to be clarified in future for the communication between the developers and the players to be effective. And I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm sorry to end this on a on a shrug, but I, I genuinely don't know what's going to make the community and the developers happy and what balance we can really strike there. But I do believe it can be done. And I think once the community gets the idea out of their head that we are owed certain things from previous updates that Mojang hasn't delivered yet, I think once everybody stops, you know, keeping this mental checklist of these are all of the things they've said they would do in the past, where are they? Then I think everyone's going to be a lot happier, <laughs> uh, myself included. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't envy the balance that the developers have to maintain in terms of like what they're sharing, what they're working on, you know, trying to make sure that it's, you know, ready for the community versus like how long the community has been waiting. Um, it does remind me of uh, a book that I, I've been reading over the last several years because it's a giant book. Uh, it's a, a Walt Disney biography. And one thing is abundantly clear that early Disney films were taking years, like five, six years, they were going, they were in story for twice as long as they were actually in animation production. And there's a reason why Disney cartoons and animated features ended up just knocking people's socks off is because they took the time, you mm -hmm. know? And so I would encourage, you know, everyone in the Minecraft community to just like be patient because good things come from the amount of, we'll say attention to readiness that Mojang puts on the majority of the things that they put in this game. And, and you are better off when something is like, gah, it was almost, but it's not ready. We're just going to, it'll maybe, we don't know when it's coming, but we decided not to focus on it right now. That's generally a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard when you're excited about that thing, but it's generally a good thing in the long run. You just have to look at the big picture. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to uh, going forward. But now let's move on to chunk mail uh, for a lot of smaller pictures. We uh, we love to keep these emails short and sweet. And so if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, Joel is going to read our first one, but a couple of light discussions to move us on from all of this heavy stuff. First email comes in from technoah3346sapling blocks. Hi, Pix and Joel. I was doing some tree farming on my Minecraft world and kept getting sapling drops as items. And I thought to myself, what if these dropped as blocks instead of items? Meaning that when the sapling drops, it would land in place a sapling block on the ground, like when a player places it. This would prevent players from having to go back when they farm trees and pick up all those saplings as items and replant them. Instead, they would drop, be placed, and regrow as trees, much like other plants do in real life. I would love to hear what you guys think about this. Take care. Technoa3346 was killed by the warden's sonic wave while watching Pixel Rifts get blown up by a charged creeper and lose all of his items. Why do people have to keep bringing this up? <laughs> <laughs> 
the most embarrassing death in my Minecraft career. Yes, let's let's get it over with. Um, so no, Te Technoa raises an interesting point. This is not the first time somebody has had this idea. I I looked up. Uh, a, a quick Google search revealed that there are several Java edition mods and several data packs that do stuff like this already. So definitely a popular idea. Um, Auto sapling is probably the more popular mod. Uh, HT's tree plant is another one that I found. And it's a side feature of Primal Core, which is one of those mods kind of like um, Terra Firmacraft, I think, is a pack that relies on stuff like this. Uh, makes the Minecraft world feel a bit more realistic, maybe a little bit more unforgiving and includes more of what you would expect from a standard survival game, even though we know Minecraft has almost been the template for a lot more recent survival games. Uh, Voodoo Beard has the data pack that I found. Um, it's one which plants saplings after they've been lying on a compatible block for 30 seconds. So if a sapling entity item falls on a dirt block or podzle or whatever, it just kind of plants it after it's been there for 30 seconds instead of waiting five minutes and having it despawn. And this is actually something I was hoping would be the case in the one block at a time snapshot that they released for the April Fool's stuff, um, because I spent a bit more time in that snapshot. And tree farming was very difficult because <laughs> it turned out saplings didn't drop from leaves at all. And that made it very difficult to farm wood until I started spreading moss and generating azalea, because that was the one thing that it exists as a block when you generate it through bone mealing moss and then... I could bone meal it from there to to get more oak wood. But anytime I wanted spruce or anything else, I was having to run to the nearest forest, bring back a block or two of that, and then run all the way back. And so eventually I'd have had to start making more, uh, you know, transport connections and slightly more, you know, complicated ways of moving blocks around if I wanted to just have a handful of spruce wood available to me. So, uh, yeah, interesting challenge. But I like the idea of uh, of droppable saplings. What do you think, Joel? I, I think it's a cool idea. I think at the rate we currently get saplings, which I don't want to change. Like I like that we get so many of them as the leaves decay. You'd probably end up with a very dense, unnatural looking forest. Right, yeah. I, I And which would be very hard to get through. Like you're going to have to then chop your way through, which I guess depending on what forests you've been around in real life, maybe that's true. <laughs> I've mm -hmm. always been able to walk between the trees and any forest that I've ever been in. So uh, I feel like the, it might end up being a little bit too dense. It also might technically be too heavy on the game, depending on like, because I remember when I was um, planting a sugarcane field and everything there had to grow it was a lag fest until everything was at full growth, right? And mm -hmm. so if you've got a bunch of forests that have like a bunch of saplings that are planted that are constantly trying to figure out whether they can grow, I wonder if that technically would then become a problem. I don't know. Um, I will meet you halfway though. Uh, I would like to see the original saplings get a facelift to be more like azalea saplings. So rather than auto planting, I still feel like they could be blocks in, a, in and of themselves. I'm not saying they all have to be full blocks and probably not best that they're all full blocks because it would give a more variety to the player for things like decorating. But like you'd have so many different possibilities for landscaping with bushes and moss, uh, top textures as variants for grass. Uh, you could have new looking plants in flower pots. Um, like imagine if a um, acacia sapling looked more like an acacia tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would look like a bonsai. You bonsai, know, if it yeah. Was, yeah, if it was in if it was in a um in a flower pot. And it would and, and again, like there's a good mix in the azalea saplings between the flat voxel planes and some 3D like 
heft to them. Whereas a lot of the original saplings are just those little like um, pixel crosses, you know, like flowers and grass and that kind of thing. And the, and the saplings are very similar in that way. And I feel like you could have like a lot of different cool, like bottoms to bushes and just different looking plants and different things. Not to mention that there could be some other technical uses for these kind of things at those various heights. Now they're probably all going to be still washed away by water, but you've got things like, you know, different uh, eye level heights, different vision blocking, different heights for different blocks have proven very useful for technical players. Uh, I feel like that could be really interesting. Um, I don't know if you can put redstone on top of a, a, a azalea sapling. You might be able to, but you know, it does that function in the same way as redstone on top of a solid block. Probably not, if if it's possible. So there's all those kind of things. I feel like the the azalea saplings in one in one seventeen and one eighteen have really kind of opened my eyes to where I feel like the sapling kind of system could use a little bit of a an overhaul um, for vanilla Minecraft. Yeah, and it's it's something that I just it just occurred to me while you were um, while you're talking about having a dense and unnatural looking forest. I feel like the opposite would be true of dark oak <laughs> because like imagine the luck you would have to have for dark oak saplings to drop and plant themselves in a two by two like you would oh, need yeah. a, you'd need a one block variant of dark oak for that to really be a possibility because otherwise you'd chop the whole thing down and they'd form you know maybe like a grid pattern or something you might get one or two that regrow but realistically you're not looking at that many dark oaks having the right conditions to regrow and I believe they they will still grow on their own when you replant them in a two by two. You don't have to use bone meal, but the the luck required to have them all a, a, arrive in the right place has got to be uh, has got to be pretty intense. But yeah, I, I I like the idea behind it because it's the the idea that Minecraft has a more of an ecosystem going on. And it's a more living environment than that. But the other thing is. Not every tree that plants itself as a seed gets to fully grow in the real world. It's it's more easily the case with like weeds and, you know, smaller plants, but trees compete for nutrients, for light, for water from the surrounding soil and I think honestly that many trees growing that close together they would need to have some kind of mechanic of competition to make it feel realistic otherwise it kind of goes too unrealistic on the other end of the scale suddenly you have trees planting themselves and thriving where they shouldn't really be able to so it's a fine balance as with everything in nature this next email comes in from mark z kid or mark's kid i guess uh, the subject is easier slime proofing Hey Pix and Joel, I've always found it really annoying to slime proof an area since slimes ignore light levels in slime chunks. As someone who is building an underground base, I worry sometimes about hitting a slime chunk. I know it's a hard thing to balance due to slime farms breaking if the mechanics change, but I think a simple change would be to make it so slimes only spawn in light level 7 or less, like hostile mobs used to. The only changes in slime farms necessary would be potentially to have to switch out current light sources with lower intensity alternatives, while giving players building in slime chunks more opportunities in decorating. What do you think? Mark's kid died of laughter when he saw pixel riffs bouncing around imitating a slime which yes is something i did why why is everybody sign off roasting me this week <laughs> what is it with our, our email correspondents decide to have a go at me it's it's because it's my birthday tomorrow isn't it i bet it is <laughs> that could be it i i assure you it had absolutely no influence on which emails that i picked out of the yes that's true i did that's no influence whatsoever um actually it's compl that's i'm joking i know i no no clue that the sign offs were all gonna roast you this week um I mean, it makes sense to me. I have a huge slime farm in my farming swamp and it would not take me much to figure out a new light source. Right now, 
I have jack-o'-lanterns built into the floors mm-hmm. and that's how I'm lighting it up. So I only get slimes. Um, you've got a cave base, like anything that you find would squish our dreams of a slime free <laughs> cave decorating future. Yeah, I, I like this idea. I think it it sounds like a worthwhile change to me. The The only problems I can foresee is that, first of all, this becomes the new esoteric mobs spawn below like level 7 thing. Like, it becomes basically the thing that Mojang was trying to avoid happening when they changed light level to light level 0 to begin with, right? Because like, it, it doesn't feel intuitive anymore. And it's one of those things that you don't know until someone tells you. Which, by the time you're considering stuff like slime farming, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's the kind of thing that that does make sense for it to be a a standalone mechanic like that. But I think it's it's potentially one of those things that you know doesn't quite gel with Mojang's current vision for the game and the the ideas they're having when it comes to mob spawning in general. Um, it also makes it harder to naturally spot slime chunks because. Even with the new changes, I think it's rare that we intentionally light up an area with light levels of 7 and below. But in my experience, the only reliable in-game way to find a slime chunk is to dig out a wide area like the beacon strip mine that I ended up building my slime farm in. You light it evenly, and then slimes are the only thing that can spawn there. But if you haven't lit it evenly, and you still have patches where there is complete darkness or whatever, you're not necessarily going to guarantee where's a slime chunk and where isn't because you're going to get other hostile mobs spawning so i think you know players myself included tend to aim for making an area bright and even looking as far as lighting goes even if it's not functionally necessary so even if there were a couple of darker areas you'd probably spot those dark areas even if they weren't spawnable for other mobs you'd still want to light those up just in case they're too dark and that's what leads to those slimes being forbidden from spawning if they have to spawn below light level 7. So I I like the idea. I think it's overall headed in the right direction, and it could be a a good way of preventing the issue of slimes completely overtaking cave bases, which is obviously more of a factor now that everybody is interested in building cave bases. But honestly, yeah, I I still think there there are other ways you can get around stuff like that. In my areas, I'm slabbing off a large you know area of the the stuff that i know a slime chunk is around here somewhere and i don't want it to be so there's there's still options there it's just like you say the decorating opportunities are a little bit less diverse if you have to make sure that everything is made out of spawn proof blocks and whatnot yeah that's my fear if i wanted to do something big like a a moria inspired you know dwarven cave situation Mm -hmm. then you kind of think like well chances are I'm going to be coming across a couple of slime chunks in this area. And if I do, like, how do I handle it? What are the sacrifices that I have to make in that case? And I've not built anything that large and vast underground aside from an actual slime farm. Mm -hmm. So um, I I can understand why that would be a concern for the larger builds. I've I've had, I mean, a lot of the spaces in in the Citadel on uh, the West Hill build are small. And I can see the argument going the other way where, I'm still trying to get used to how dark I can actually leave it and it be spawn proof. Like mm-hmm. I've actually been using mini HUD just to like triple check easily on stream. And sure enough, I'm just like, wow, these are all threes and fours where I thought they were for sure zeros and ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you wanted to have a creepy cave, then what's going to be spawn proof for a lot of mobs. If seven is the cutoff, then it's going to be still, dark enough to spawn slime so seven might be an arbitrary number coming in from 
from our previous kind of like Minecraft brains. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering if I like the idea. I'm just wondering if seven is the right number. It's like halfway, really, isn't it? It's like you I know, guess, fifteen yeah, is the maximum, true. zero is the minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that like convenient halfway point. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think about what other light sources have like those various kind of like levels, and like so, if if for example, if you line up all the different light sources, and especially the ones that have like something less than fifteen, then where's the 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 average? And if the average is more like five, then that would be better than seven. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Because then you could still be moody. But you could also be slime-proof at the same time. Yeah, seven is the light level given off by stuff like enchanting tables, ender chests, glow lichen, uh, redstone okay. torches, that kind of stuff. And there's a lot more stuff that is at light level 15 in terms of overall light sources, but yes, that's because a lot of lighting is meant to be practical. It's meant to, to light a certain area. Um, I think the alternative for your Moria base is just to retexture slimes as cave trolls, and then you'll have no problems. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> some very about, ba- very bouncy cave trolls coming at you. Yeah, it's about, about the same mental capacity, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I think we're on fair. the same wavelength. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Next email comes in from Parker, a landscape artist member of our community. Echo Shard Portals. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to episode 191 at work this week, and the idea of Echo Shards being used for fast travel portals reminded me of the short-range teleporters in No Man's Sky. The No Man's Sky teleporters have a very limited range, and me and my friends use them to teleport between respective bases and a central hub. If Echo Shards could be used for short-range portal travel, it could be useful for traveling between farms and a base, for instance. I think they're already a little bit uh, sorry, I think there's already a little bit of a precedent for this with certain enderpearl stasis chamber machines. What do you guys think? Parker put a portal on the floor and a portal on the ceiling and discovered the cake was a lie and then hit the ground too hard. <laughs> That's when you need those special springy boots. I like the idea of us having more transport options, but I feel like once again, we risk outpacing stuff that is our current transport options like... Um, I think 118 was a really great time for a horse revival because the landscape makes, you know, using a horse much more viable because there's a lot more vertical travel involved and, and horses become a little bit more useful again. And I worry that whenever we go back in the opposite direction, whenever we start talking about teleportation options and stuff, we are, you know, shortening the amount of time that we can spend using every possible transport option in minecraft before everything just ends up being too convenient (laughs) and i think maybe the the echo shard thing might be a good way of gating this behind a very specific point in the game and maybe limiting the amount of it but at the same time the main problem here is i think we need some way of getting renewable echo shards if they're consumed by either setting up or using teleportation methods like this i feel like they're almost too rare for them to be used for stuff like this I think when we were talking about the ancient city potential portal frame, the thing that the big square box in the middle of ancient cities, mm-hmm. the widescreen TV. Uh, yeah. The widescreen. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think we were talking about long range uh, teleportation and, and perhaps also sparked by an email and, and we were bouncing around like, well, that, that might negate the, the nether for, which is what the purpose of the nether is in some ways is to get, you know, faster long range travel by building nether tunnels and having that being offset by, uh, different things. I think the idea of short range teleportation kind of fits in nicely where 
if it's something that's unlocked by visiting the deep dark, it may or may not be something that you can do pre end. So before you have a light trail where you can just fly everywhere mm-hmm. and given the new range of verticality with caves and cliffs, short horizontal distance, if it's not too cumbersome or if it's not too limited vertically, it could be a really interesting way to move up or down or even just short horizontal distances in Minecraft, especially if it's something that's limited to the point where it doesn't compete with the nether. Like if you want to go as far as you can see chunks wise, it's probably going to be better to go with, um, to go with, uh, nether travel. Whereas if you want to go someplace short, like a, a farm that you can see, but it's a pain in the butt to get there. Or like a farm that's really far underground, like a slime farm, you know, like someplace where, you know, it's more convenient to just right now you have to take a ladder or drop or whatever. And it takes a a long time. I feel like that could be kind of fun. Uh, The question that I have about it is like, you know, when you have that kind of thing, you run into like, okay, well, how do they sync? How, How do you connect one portal to another? Maybe it's something as simple as just like, you can only have two you know, like in a certain range in the same way that you can't put nether portals too close together. Otherwise they just start to mess up and they don't talk mm-hmm. to one another. Right. Like if you had, I don't know what an arbitrary distance would be. Let's just call it 32 blocks for the sake of argument. You know, if you had two of these short range echo portals in a short, in, in 32 blocks, then you'd have to go 32 blocks again, past your closest one before you could set up a new one. And they would just only go to the one closest. And so yeah. you'd have to like potentially, so you couldn't daisy chain them because it wouldn't work. And so it, it would, it would not create like instant fast travel for all kinds of people. It would just be like, no, this is meant for a very specific purpose. Like the ones in no man's sky. Like they're meant to be just like, just short. If you have to go farther than this, get in your ship and fly away, you know? And, and because that's fun, that's part of the gameplay. And so I, I, I like, I find the idea really intriguing. I mean, obviously it runs into some roadblocks in terms of like you said, in terms of like, are they renewable? Do you have to convert the echo shards into a block to create this new portal thing? Um, my brain kind of goes to like chorus fruit, which then means you have to go to the end and you have to beat the dragon to get the chorus fruit. But then if you can then stabilize the chorus fruit with echo shards to create some sort of echo portal block, we get a new decorative block. You have a new portal block. I just, there's a lot of potential. I just, I don't know how that balances out with all the other mechanics of the game. Yeah, I, 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 I do, I do wonder if you could maybe attune it like you do with a, um, a lodestone compass, so that maybe you have an item that links two things together instead of having to worry about like the coordinate matching stuff and like certain distances away and 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 how to make that stuff valid and which one it connects to i think having the players manually connect stuff like that would make a lot of sense to me but yeah it's it's difficult how you intuitively teach players to use that stuff like what what kind of um in-game messaging there is if any or or what players can figure out on their own about how stuff like that works that's always the the interesting thing and I honestly wonder if there would be many players who would find an ancient city before Elytra. Unless you have one directly under your spawn point, you usually have to travel quite a way to find the Deep Dark. And even then, the Deep Dark doesn't necessarily guarantee an ancient city. So unless, again, there is another way of getting renewable Echo Shards, I feel like that potentially means that players already have other more interesting forms of transport before they would get to mess around with that stuff. Um, yeah, th- there's there's many different options. And... I think for short-range teleportation, we've already got things like enderpearls, we've already got things like, I guess to an extent, chorus fruit. Although I do like the idea of combining 
chorus and echo i mean they're, ju- they're just compatible words to me in terms of sound and and musicality of it like my my uh my inner kind of um music producer and like thinking about guitar effects and stuff like that chorus and echo and reverb and all of that kind of stuff sort of makes sense to me fitting together so yeah i do wonder if maybe some of the stuff from the end and these echo shards could end up being compatible at some stage uh, this next email comes in from JD with the subject of a warden warranted shield because we had to include at least one of the warden ideas that people have been emailing in. Uh, hi Joel and Pix, uh, I was listening to episode 189 and a listener mailed in a proposition that they would like to have an echo sword that could avoid the sonic boom attack. You guys made the point this would entice a player to kill the warden and I agree with you that this shouldn't be a priority. I was thinking about something you said some episodes ago about combining echo shards with tools. What if we could combine an echo shard with a shield? A normal shield would do nothing against the sonic attack, but maybe the echo shield could absorb the attack, making sure you stay put instead of being blown away, or it could reflect the attack and maybe stun the warden for a bit. What are your thoughts on this? Would it be a good defense, or would it lead to players attacking the warden in between sonic booms and absorbing them with the shield again, enticing them to kill the warden? Love the podcast. Thanks for the email, JD. I wanted to share this because it's one of the few suggestions that we received that did not focus on just getting a more powerful thing to kill the warden. Mm -hmm. or make it easier to kill the warden i like the fact that it was stunning the warden so it's it's still kind of keeping the warden game mechanic going in the game but kind of giving you a moment to like maybe catch your breath and just like regroup your brain figure out what your next step is going to be yeah um i'd like to add that i think if you reflect the sonic stun to the warden um i think the warden should be invulnerable for a short period so while the warden is stunned you can't then just move in for the kill but you're safe and so is the warden so you've just kind of paused the drama (laughs) for now as opposed to giving yourself like a insta gib you know opening to just like well this is the mechanic i just repeat this until the warden is dead and and i think that that might be a, a better way or just a little bit a little bit of an addition on top of what i think is a is a pretty good idea um and the question that i had is like if the echo shield uh proposed by jd reflects the sonic attack does that then make noise that triggers other skulk sensors like are you just asking for more wardens to show up if that's <laughs> just like i don't know how that works um cuz from what i can tell from many gameplay that i've watched of kind of trying to sneak around in the deep dark like everything you do <laughs> tends to set off the send off the uh, the skulk sensors and i can't imagine reflecting a giant sonic attack is going to be a quiet affair yeah um they did mention that one of the options would be to absorb it but then that would then not i that, i think the idea in the email was if you absorb the sonic attack then you just survive it it, that then doesn't stun the warden. You have to reflect it in order to stun the warden. So pick one. You don't get both. Like you, the functionalities were kind of like suggested separately, I find in, in the email. Um, but a, an interesting idea for sure. Yeah, this se- this sort of answers one of the questions I have about the warden as an experience now. And it's something that I haven't really delved into in snapshots, even though I probably could, because I want to save a bit of it for the, the actual full release. But part of me wonders, once you've aggroed the warden, if you're unlucky enough to do that, what are the situations in which you can get away? Because the warden can keep up with you if you're running in an open area. I think the main, you know, the only advantage you have is that you're not as tall as the warden, but it can fit into a one block wide gap. It's just three blocks tall, like Enderman and Iron Golems and so forth. So I kind of think there's not really that many ways, maybe a well-placed Ender Pearl throw or something like that. There aren't many ways to avoid the warden just catching up to you. And I don't know how long it stays angry at the player for after that point. 
and presumably you can get far enough away and it might despawn or something. But I, I do wonder what the player still has in their toolkit once the warden is aggressive towards them. And I think this could be a potential solution. I mean, it's you know, a, a little too late, I think, to be included in the wild update, but maybe for the future. I also like the idea of it giving us another type of shield because shields right now are the, the one of the things in the game that only has one tier of one type of shield um, where in terms of the other tools we have, you know, six. So I think it's kind of a cool idea at least to give us a bit more variety in the shield department. Mm. And I sort of wonder if the echo shield would just become your main shield or if maybe it would make it less weak against attacks that weren't sonic burst related like would it be better at defending against more magical things could it even maybe block guardian lasers but then it would be a harder thing to use against stuff like they wouldn't block all of the damage from creeper explosions for example like there could be some some interesting give and take there if it was implemented as another tier of shield um which is something we don't have in the game right now uh, that's really intriguing. I didn't even think of the guardian thing. My brain went to like, what happens if you have an echo shield and you go to raid an end city? Like, what happens when a shulker bullet hits mm, yeah, the yeah, echo yeah. shield? Like, does it negate the floating effect? Does it reflect back onto the shulker? Like, does it help you kill the shulker? Um, I love the guardian idea. That would be really fun. Yeah, because right um, now, I mean, having just drained an ocean monument, I know this very well. <laughs> there is no way of blocking guardian lasers. You have to either rush them so that they run away, or you get behind a block. And so right. having a bit more variety in gameplay that way, I, th I think that's the kind of thing that would, would really add to the uh, the overall landscape of the game. Do you think we have time for one more? Yeah, we may as well fit this one in. I think it's a, uh, a nice short and sweet one. Yeah, this has been in our inbox for quite some time, actually. And uh, I think it's uh, a fitting addition, given the conversation that we've been having on the show recently. Uh, it's from White Bush, a landscape artist member. Research notes. There are many times in the community and in the podcast, a comment has been made that there is nothing in the game that explains or guides the player along when it comes to complicated concepts or devices, such as constructing a beacon or redstone circuits. We know Mojang has a lore for the game themselves, and they are pushing some ideas to the players with the new redstone rooms inside of ancient cities. What if archaeology, when it's added, was available early or mid-game, and some of the things that could be discovered were written books with step-by-step -step pictures showing how to build something like a beacon. I imagine them being lost tomes of the former inhabitants of the world and their research notes, with each picture being like hieroglyphics, showing step-by-step -step the work towards some contraption. What do you think? White Bush was nearly blown away by a creeper while he was standing stunned after learning that the real velociraptors were actually the size of turkeys. <laughs> That's uh, an odd one, but I guess an archaeological kind of theme. Been digging. For I like. Fossils. I like the. Yeah, I like. I like the fossil reference. Uh, also, uh, White Bush included a note that uh, Dinonychus is what Jurassic films actually used for a better scale, because. Um, but Dinonychus doesn't have the same ring that Velociraptor does when yeah. it's chasing you in a in a movie. I mean, I thought that I've, was really interesting. I've seen some turkeys, and if they're weirdly aggressive, I still don't want them anywhere near me. So that's <laughs> entirely fine. Um, yeah, I, I I like the fact that White Bush is obviously sensitive to the fact that the game doesn't have a great deal of written text in there. We've obviously got written books as a player, and there's a couple of GUI elements, but any kind of writing in the game is not only a step aside from what Minecraft already has in terms of its guidance for the player, it also needs to be translated. 
And obviously there are a bunch of different language packs natively available in the game, many of which are done by volunteers. And any kind of extensive amount of text like that, like the most text the game has right now, I think is the end poem and the credits. And that's really it. So like any any large amount of text would need to be translated in order for most players to be able to understand it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think having a pictographic design uh, and, and uh, a way of, you know, explaining stuff to, to players like that is both effective and like weirdly poignant in a sense like the the idea that there has been nobody capable of written communication before or written communication just wasn't one of their priorities before and that the player has a different level of understanding and a different way of communicating than whoever has left these notes behind yeah i do, i do like the potential for this there's also the potential for like that graphic alphabet you know that's in the game to be used in some oh of yeah the, i guess like the, the symbols it's the standard galactic alphabet i think the I one think that's like called, yeah. from, from the enchantment table runes and everything like that yeah 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 um one of the games that i've played recently i, I actually unfortunately gave up on it i found it a little bit too challenging but uh tunic is a cute but tough cartoony rpg that's available across a bunch of different platforms and uh you collect the pages of the instruction manual from around the world as you play and they kind of give it to you as like reward for beating a mini boss. Or I think the first one is just like the very first thing that you find, which explains how to swing your sword, which is kind uh -huh. of like essential, right? Yeah. And and I really enjoyed that aspect of it for a number of reasons. One, it means that I didn't have to sit down and read a PDF before I played a game because all you want to do is start the game. Um, I feel like there should be a certain amount of intuitive things that happen on screen in games. And I felt that this kind of hit that head uh, with the amount of like, this is what you need to learn how to like move around with your buttons on screen. But for more complicated things, like this is how to roll an attack. You have to look it up on this little kind of like um, instruction manual. And it looks like the little square, like printed manuals that came with like original Nintendo Entertainment System or Game Boy games. Mm -hmm. And you flip through it on the screen and you can bring it up whenever you want, but there's missing pages. And until you figure out uh, the other pages you're missing stuff and you don't get everything in order you get a map eventually you get some tactics uh you get some this is how potions work in the game but like you don't get all of it right away and sometimes you get this is how potions work before you get like the map or sometimes you get you know depending on which way you go in the game you might get some things before others and i thought that was really interesting and so applying that to this idea from whitebush in in minecraft i think is really cool i think digging up something that you know, is a book that you can flip through. It provides information about there are books in the game that you can later on, you can craft and, you know, do different things with, with players. And you see people use books all the time on multiplayer service for all kinds of fun interactions and things. And I like the idea, especially as an artist, of seeing things that look like, I mean, Minecraft's versions of essentially like a Lego instruction book, you know, like there's yeah. no words, there's just pictures. Like this is what a repeater does or this is how you know a torch does the thing or you know even just showing something along the lines of like a creeper running away from a cat yeah right? like mm -hmm. just just little things like that could be it could be a really fun interesting way to communicate all of the stuff in the game that does that means that players are not relying on um the community the like the youtube videos and the, and the wiki to find out all this kind of stuff and because I remember, I mean, like I had friends, you know, I had my buddy Steven help me through the, my early stages in Minecraft and I was watching a lot of YouTube. But like one of the first things a coworker said back when I was working retail 
uh, was like, oh, here, you should go watch Paul Sears Jr. That will get you up to speed with like the essentials. And and so and I'm sure a lot of people point them towards uh, the survival guide now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that, I think that being in the game, one of the biggest complaints that, that I hear from specifically like parents that have kids that are into Minecraft when I talk about what I do and they are like, oh man, I just, I find the game like so overwhelming. And it's because there's just so much to it and so little is explained. Because mm-hmm. people yeah. our age tend to want an instruction book. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, we, we've grown right. up with them more more likely yeah. than not. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, th- I think this is, it's definitely got potential. I, I do wonder where the balance has to be struck between intuitive mechanics and stuff that the player is supposed to figure out on their own and the amount to which it is encouraged to interact with the community right like i i feel like we we can't really take minecraft out of the era in which it exists which is an era of constant online communication and the fact that you don't really need an instruction manual for stuff these days because either you have an in-game tutorial that teaches you the mechanics of the game and the rest is kind of left to the imagination and and you know the the exploration of the player or you have online communities that discuss all of this stuff constantly and are able to tell you where to find the hidden door that leads to the magic sword that's going to help you through the first half of the game if you're not that good at combat or or whatever it may be. So there's there's something to be said for it still having that element of community interaction. But for people who don't want that, for people who want to go in, as some people have done, completely unspoiled for Minecraft, it would be a very interesting way of incorporating stuff like that in the game. At least... Uh, show that poor Japanese player, uh, Piropito, how to use an enchantment table. Because <laughs> uh, uh, apparently, at the time of this recording, at least, he uh, still doesn't know how those, uh, how, how enchanting tables and bookshelves interact. And that's where we'll leave it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening, folks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at Patreon patreon.com slash the spawn chunks where joining our community gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and you can participate in things like the live show recording every week the monthly minecraft audio hangout which is coming up next and you can also let us know that you're a patron of the spawn chunks when you email in if you are inclined to do so uh we're currently at 342 patrons which is up three from last week thank you so much to the three of you who've hopped on board and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them they should listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash PixelRiffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That is at thecitadelcafe.com. I talked with Alistair this week about all the new Star Trek stuff that's been out. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but the trees aren't going to plant themselves.